Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Command Space. I'm your host, Mike Hurley, and I'm joined today by the wizard of the internet, the real magic man that keeps a lot of the internet going on a daily basis. That is Mr. Brett Terpstra. Hi. How are you doing? I am. I'm good. Uh, you made me think of, uh, what was it, Heart that did Magic Man? Probably. Oh, that was a good song. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with that song from the top of my head. I'll look it up later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm sure if, it's, if it exists, it will be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Yep, Heart, Magic Man. There you go. You were correct. Okay. And then, now that is the first link in the show notes, which is a real peculiar way to start off the show. I would like that to be um, the theme song for this episode. Okay. 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 I'm I'm joking, but okay. <laughs> I think I might just replace the the uh, all of our music like across the network with with maybe this song. I've not heard it yet, but I'm going to assume that it's a good song. <laughs> it depends on your taste. So, Mister Terpshire, we have a we have an action packed show um, lined up for today, but before we get into the real before we get before we get into other topics, I have a really important question that I need to ask you, and this is this is something that's been playing on my mind for for a short period of time, and I figure that there is no better place than than face to face where I can ask you about this. Hit me. How have you managed to score six billion points on Super Monsters Ain't My Combo Condo? Oh man, it's like my average score is about one billion. I've right. gotten to a point where I can always get a billion. But every once in a while, you get the right combination of multipliers and uh, point boosts. And then you, the right condos just come down. And all of a sudden, you get up to uh, like 150 to 200 on your multiplier. And the points just rack up fast. So this is an iOS game that me and, me and Brett are big fans of. Now, my highest score is, is half a billion. And I cannot understand. I just can't understand how in the time limit you can get those those scores. I mean, you you must have worked out a, a good strategy that I cats, man. You just you you stop going for color combos and just start making cats. Yeah, yeah. I guess I need to focus what? more on the cats. Sorry, That's something's okay. not muted, and I don't even know what just clicked. Okay, <laughs> it could be anything. There's so many devices that make those noises these days. Yeah, I'm looking around my desk thinking, <laughs> Where there's is like it six from? things that could have made that sound. But it's it is an incredible game. I mean. I loved the original Monsters Ain't My Condo, and I and I loved the new one. I do wish the new one had an endless mode, though. I I kind of do too, but so I go back and I play the old one, and I miss some of the things from the new one, and I just find it it's like uh, Infinity Blade One. It was a great game, but I never go back and play it now that two is out. So I have I have two problems with the original. Obviously, it's not well. I I don't believe you're using an iPhone five at the moment, are you? I just got mine two days ago. Oh, you did? You, you, ah, so you, you waited for long enough. And it's obviously it's not optimized for that screen, which is one thing. Right. So you can't, the towers aren't as, as, as large and, and, and uh, you're not able to play as easy. And the other issue I have is there is some, like, say, for example, you might have different color. This is so boring for people that don't know this game. <laughs> but anyway. Everyone, everyone should know this game. Everyone should know this game. And I hope that us talking about it will get people to go and download it. But you know, like, for example, you might have, like, red, bronze, red, red, or something like that. When you, right. On the old game, it doesn't recognize those combos in the same right. way as it does in the new game. Right. Um, in the new game, uh, uh, gold, silver, bronze combos pass through. Yeah. 
and the old one they block uh, combinations. And I like them. I like that they pass through more because it's easier to get the cat combo then and go Absolutely. into Mega Zone. This right, this game sounds bat poop crazy to anybody. It, it, it is even crazy. if you even if you play it, it's still bat it's, poop it is crazy. An insane game, but it is so much fun. It's like in part with um, Adult Swim, which I believe is a television thing in America, right? It's it's, I don't believe it's a channel, but they make television That is shows, correct. Right? Um, and it's this crazy, like, Japanese-infused game with these monsters that are trying to eat apartment buildings. And you have to, like, it's like a matching game. So you have to throw away bad colors and match up good colors in a big Jenga-like stack. It's a fast-paced, Which, real fun sounds game. sounds rudimentary, but it's really not... There are there as as Brett has pointed out, there is some severe strategy um, that that can, needs to be put into play with this, and it's it's just really really great fun. Super Monsters Eight My Condo is in the uh, in the show notes. I always say Eight My Combo because that kind of <laughs> I should me- I should mention that it was uh, Mike Schramm who introduced me to that. I may never have found that game without him. I don't know how I came across it. I just um, I sort of follow a couple of, of those those websites like Touch Arcade and stuff and I must have seen it from them. That's a really good site by the way, toucharcade.com if you enjoy um if you enjoy iOS games. They they just do iOS games reviews and news and I find loads of great games from them because I, I'm a big fan of, of um, iOS gaming. It's the only gaming I do. Yeah, me too now. I mean when there's a game like I don't know, um Grand Theft Auto or something, then I'll dust off the Xbox. Uh, yeah, my my Xbox is there's probably an inch of dust on it right now. But you know, so I will I will break it out for those landmark titles. But I don't I don't really understand spending like I don't know what would be maybe fifty dollars when I can spend one dollar and get a lot more enjoyment in my personal opinion. Um, I think I think some of those games should. Should be valued higher, but still, like, I agree. I even totally if they were fifteen dollars for more fun than you'd have on your Xbox, why not? See, this is one of those games where, where I'm happy that they have in-app purchase because I just will buy coins just to support the developers. Like, not well, because I want. That's how you get them. to six. I didn't want to say it, but you really have to buy enough coins to get the dog, the cat, yeah, and agree. the time combo. That is, they're the three that I use. So there, there are sort of power-ups in the game. And I bought like a bunch of coins, and then I just used those free. But you can you can't, and it's smart because you you can't you can continue to play the game as normal. But if you want to have the power ups, you have to to put money in. But it's not intrinsical to the fun that you can have playing the game. Um, not at all. And and I think that you know it's and I like doing that. I like it when there's in app purchases where I can just give the developer more money as like a thank you. Well, I say thanks a lot then. Indeed, thank you very much developers i think pickpock is the name of the developer yeah that sounds right anyway let's get into the real show provided that there's anybody still listening but i'm sure there will be because they will want to hear more of your great wisdom we just spent like seven minutes just (laughs) talking about that game but probably the biggest news in your world um especially since the last time we spoke which was on the old show the bro show is that you have uh, released a book in conjunction with uh, david sparks um, and it's one of the Max Barkey Field Guides, and it's uh, 60 tips. It's 60 mountain lion tips. Now, if my timeline and memory tells me 
correctly. This um, was born out of a Macworld um, presentation that you did with David Sparks and Merlin Mann. That is correct. Where it was 60 tips in 60 minutes, is that right? It was 40 back then. Ah, 40 tips in 40 minutes. So then I remember um, we had you on on the old show um, after that time, um, and you sort of said at the time, you know, we're working on something, and you wasn't sure. I I believe at that time it was potentially going to be a website or something like that, but um, what what was the decision to turn it into a a book, into an iBook? I think, well... That's two questions. So I'll start with the first one. The the real the idea was born of the fact that we made a lot of screencasts for the MacWorld presentation, and that was time consuming. And uh, and I think we all felt, or at least David and I felt, that we wanted to give them some life beyond just that uh, small room presentation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then iBooks came out after that, and we realized we could actually make a book that had screencasts for every tip. And uh, we did end up redoing all of the screencasts. There's nothing left from the 40 tips. Uh, some of the tips carry over, but uh, all the screencast work was done anew. And uh, it, I guess basically um, we wanted to take advantage of, of the new technology and make good use of it and provide a service at the same time. So this was uh, was it was it an easy? I mean, I assume that you and you and David spoke about this. Did, was the idea of having it as an iBook um, like available on the iPad? Was that an easy decision to make? Uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, it's very uh, geared towards obviously the Mac community, mo- most of which have, uh, well, at least in my mind, most of whom have uh, iOS devices, iPads. And uh, and it just seemed like the path of least resistance. We also put out a PDF version that you can buy for the same price. And we actually we we get more money out of the PDF version because Apple doesn't take a cut. But I still recommend the iBooks version because the PDF version is to me it's a, it's a backup plan. Uh, if you if you have iBooks, the experience is so much cooler. Definitely, because you get the the well, because you you get all of the content with the PDF version, right? You get the videos and stuff. Yeah, um, you have to download them separately, though. Yeah, they're they're not they're not built into the experience, and I mean, you know, part of the the joy of an iBook is the way that you navigate it. I find um, it is very beautiful, and, and it makes for a much nicer experience. Exactly. <clears throat> I'm sorry about my voice. I just started okay. losing it. Um, but yeah, the what I love about it is. We get all of our content together, and then iBooks provides, well, like they say, for free, this great index that you can scroll through in in, uh, in landscape mode, and then page through in in portrait mode, and everything's just kind of seamless. And I really, you can pinch in and out of chapters and everything. It's pretty cool. Talk me through a little about the process for you with creating it. So, did you? Um did you write out all the tips and then record the screencasts? I mean, and then how did you record the screencasts? How did that sort of process pan out for you? Well, David and I uh, brainstormed a spreadsheet, a Google Doc of uh, um, all the all the tips we had, basically uh, top of mind, and that included a few more that we discovered on the way. And 
uh, pretty much the way it ended up was we all, we both had a pretty equal number of tips and we just, uh, took our own tips and then independently made our screencasts and wrote our content. And, uh, we shuffled an empty iBook back and forth on Dropbox until the end, keeping our screencasts locally because the book for anyone who's bought it, you know, it's like 500 meg download. Yeah. Um, so we weren't transferring that back and forth. Uh, we just kept a 30 megabyte, uh, content or text only iBook that we, uh, shared in Dropbox and, then once we were done, we took a look at a few of each other's screencasts, piled it all together, and sent it to a proofreader. And that was pretty much the process. What app were you using for the screencast app? Oh, ScreenFlow. ScreenFlow. I really don't think. Camtasia is okay. ScreenFlow, to me, it's, it's the standard. I don't think there's really anything else that can touch it. Yeah, when you said it, you was kind of like, there is no other. <laughs> for this. You were just like, oh, ScreenFlow, of course. What, what is wrong with you? That was kind it of would it would be weird to me to have anyone make screencasts on something else, but I'm sure there are other similar options. But so you've used you've I assume now you've had some some pretty good experiences or well you've had some experiences whether they were good I'm not sure with iBooks author. What are your thoughts on the application and the platform in general? It is. Well, let's say if you are willing to stick with Apple's kind of uh, default design rules, it's very easy to use. And to me, it's an easier system than any EPUB workflow I've seen. Um, It does get frustrating if you want to kind of do a little more uh, uh, design-oriented stuff. Uh, there, there, there are some limitations, at least for me, like coming from like an InDesign background where I just wanted this, some more complex things to work. Overall, um, layout and text flow and all of that is it's pretty much a breeze, and it was actually in the end really fun to work in. Um, I have one of our so every week we ask for um, for questions from uh, from the audience. Um, I've one of the it, well, I find it very interesting, and I'm not surprised. I have had this week by far more than any other episode. I've had more questions than any other guest. So I just tweeted it out. You know, has anybody got any questions? And I have been inundated. Um, so people, I know, I you know, you are you will probably just be quiet about this because this is the kind of humble man that you are. But you, I think you are very you are hiding held in great esteem. Um, in the Mac community is because you contribute so many things um, for free mainly. And I think that a lot of people have a lot of affection for you. Um, and and that's definitely come through in the amount of questions that people have wanted because they've, you know, they've wanted to, to, to they want to listen to what you've got to say and they want to be able to ask you things directly. So um, one of the first questions that we've got was from Martin Engler or Martin Engler. And he has asked, are you planning on doing any more work after this book with, like, for the Max Barkey Field Guide line? Or is Definitely. That you, you are. You, you, do, you, do you have projects in mind? You don't have to tell us about yes, them. Yes, we have, we have started working. Uh, well, we haven't officially started working. We, we're in planning stages for the next one already. I think I could take a pretty decent guess as to what that might be. but You probably could. There's only so many options. <laughs> there is only so many. But, no, that, that's excellent to hear. I'm, 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 we're all very pleased to hear that. I mean... Um, I, I really enjoyed the book. What I like about 60 Tips 
Um, it's like with with Paperless, that the previous book in the Max Sparky Field Guide line, which was one that David did on his own, it was kind of felt a bit more like a you start at one point and finish at the other, like it was like a journey. Um, with this with this book, what I liked um, the most about it is I was able to just dip in. So I could just go to any section that interested me and just watch the tip or read the little the thing. There. I, I like that a lot about it. And that, that's what's great about the iBooks format too is it's really easy to just skip through to what you want and zoom into it. Yeah, you can just be like, oh, I'll just go here. Oh, I'll just go here. And, and I thought that was, that was really cool. I like that a lot. So um, another question that we have, um, this is from Moonbeam Labs on Twitter. And he asks, I thought this was quite interesting, what is the target audience for the book? So, you know, when you were, when you were writing it, were you appealing to existing Mac nerds or people new to the Mac? Basically, and, and we, we debated a lot about <clears throat> whether we wanted, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> uh, whether we wanted to uh, generalize the audience or if that would ultimately uh, alienate everybody. And um, what we ended up, Set our, our our train of thought is basically this book is for anyone who wants to get better at using their Mac. So if you're a beginner and and you want to learn the basics, uh, the first few chapters will get you there. And by the time you're through that, you will be at a point where you're ready for the next few chapters. So ultimately, we can take uh, someone new to the Mac uh, who has just a basic overall understanding of the operating system and turn them into uh, power users, and what most people would consider to be a power user. And then for power users coming into it, I haven't met anyone yet who hasn't said they learned at least a couple things. And most people I talk to that I would consider power users have come away with all new tricks. And that's awesome. I mean, I learned 100,000 things from the book, and there was only 60 tips. Right, and the fact is, like most of uh, uh, David and I'm in my tips, we the other person didn't know. Uh, so, like David learned a lot from me. I learned a lot from David, and uh, that proves to me that there's a lot, uh, a lot of uh, hidden secrets to know. Yeah, I guess if you two are teaching each other, that that shows it for, in my mind because you're both very knowledgeable Mac users, and and prone to. Uh, tweaking and fiddling to the point where we really should know more. <laughs> really should know everything, I think, is, is maybe the uh, another phrase to use. So um, something else I wanted to talk to you about um, in, in this little section of the show is your podcast, Systematic. Now, Systematic is a show on the 5x5 network, and it has very quickly become one of my favorite shows to listen to. Um, and... I've been trying to think about why that is. I mean, the, obviously the show is of great quality, but I listen to many shows that are of, of, of great quality. And I've been trying to think a lot about what it is about your show that, that I like so much, especially because some of the guests that you have on um, I don't really know much about, and sometimes that can be a sticking point for me. For a guest-based show like this one, sometimes if I don't know too much about the guest, then I, I'm not sure if I will find it that interesting, but, but I still do. And I think a lot of that, comes from the way that you um the way that you are on the show so if you i feel that you impart quite a lot of your own personality into the show and i think that we learn a, a lot about you and your 
quite interesting past. Like we, I did not know that you had a history in advertising and things like that. Is that a conscious decision that you make on Systematic to to bring yourself into the show and to sort of be, you know, open with with your own thoughts and feelings and things like that? It's just the only way I know how to do it. Um, I, you know, the, like Systematic is the first time I've ever podcast at all. And uh, anyone who knows me knows that I'm um, a little too open with uh, personal feelings and uh, and history. I I tend to say more than most people are comfortable with, and I try to actually you know dial that back a little when I'm talking to thousands of people. But um, yeah, it's that's just me. And uh, the, my original plan was to have a lot more structured of a show. And like make it a little like more like uh, Mac Power users, um, but that didn't that didn't work out because I'm just not that organized, and uh, I don't know. Like I really began to enjoy the organic nature of the show and just letting that letting my guests kind of shape the flow of it and uh, and just yeah injecting my own thoughts back into it. I I feel like it's working. I agree. I mean, without without bias, um, my favorite episode was episode seven with Michael Schechter, um, who has a show on this network called Mics on Mics. Um, and I and I think it was at that episode was when the show really clicked for me as as being like a mainstay must listen every week. Um, because in that episode, you you and Mister Schechter, you basically are just very open about um, your. ADHD issues um, and you, you know you're both you both talk very personally about things like counseling and stuff like that and I just had a lot of respect for you both for being that open on the show um, and I just think that it's it's refreshing to have that sort of um, connection with somebody when listening to audio it's a and I think that's what makes it for me such a such a great show and you mentioned about um, the Mac Power users thing. I mean, we already have Mac Power users, right? Yeah. You know, so in a way, it's, it's great that you made the decision to just be like, you know, just screw it. I'm just going to make the show that that I would naturally make. And I think that that the quality of the show is, is speaking to that. Well, thank you. What are your aims each week with the show? I mean, do they do they differ from week to week with the guests that you have, or do you have like an um, an an overarching sort of philosophy or aim for the for the systematic? My goal really is to introduce people to people that I find interesting, and um, I I don't know. I, sometimes I have a topic and I go find a guest that works for that topic, yeah. but that's only happened I think twice and and episode seven was an example of that i wanted to talk about uh kind of adhd and whatnot and michael was the perfect uh pick for that but um overall i really i just i find people that interest me and let the conversation happen based on their personality i mean you're doing a top job so uh please keep up the great work i appreciate it thanks so i want to take a, a very quick break to thank our sponsor for this week um, and the, our sponsor for this week is, of course, those fine folks over at Squarespace.com. Now, Squarespace, they give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. What they do is they provide you with a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating your home online, whether that be if you want to create a blog, a portfolio, maybe a site for your business. Basically, whatever you want to create a website for, Squarespace can give you the tools 
to make it. They don't just provide you with hosting. They don't just provide you with uh, templates or site design or domains or anything like that. They can give you the entire thing. And that's what I love about Squarespace. They're a one-stop shop for everything I need to create my own website. So let me tell you some of the things that I love about what they do. So at Squarespace, I never have to worry about the site going down. I never have to worry about if we have lots of traffic, if we have lots of people, if we have lots of people linking to us, because their hosting is so solid, it never even blinks. Um, The site is always fast, always responsive, and that's both sites that I have. 70decibels.com is a Squarespace site, and MikeHurley.net is a Squarespace site also. The templates that come with Squarespace version 6 are absolutely stunning. They're really clean and let your content do all of the talking. I love that they're responsive. So no matter what design, uh, sorry, what device I look at, the design remains clean, clear, and it maintains the, any of the customizations that I've made. The customizations are made through Squarespace's WYSIWYG design editor, so you can very easily select what, so you can literally click what areas of the site you want to change. So you want to change the background, click the background and select a new color. And it's done in a real nice beautiful layout all in the web browser and when coupled with layout engine which is squarespace's page builder it allows you to create custom layouts very simply and you would not even believe that what you are creating is not a native application because you literally drag and drop elements you want to add a photo gallery you drag it you drop it I want you to go and try out this stuff for yourself because really, you know, you can hear me talk about it and you can understand just how great Squarespace is. But until you try it out for yourself, you really won't be able to grasp just how awesome these tools are. I can give you a two-week free trial to go and do this. You don't need any credit card or anything like that. You just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decimals and you can get your two-week free trial. But the trial only starts when you push the site live, so when you're finished doing your design, which is great. So you can design your site and then have two weeks for people to give you feedback on it squarespace after that point if you decide you want to sign up is ten dollars a month for their standard plan and twenty dollars a month for their unlimited plan but if you sign up for one year so if you sign up for a year up front you'll get 20 percent off that price and if you sign up for two years you'll get 25 percent off that price and with either of those annual plans you get a free custom domain name too if you decide you want to purchase Make sure you click enter an offer code, which is located below the pricing information at the checkout, and enter the code 70decibels10 at 70decibels10, and you will get yourself an additional 10% off, whether that's 10% off your monthly price, or you can add another 10% off your annual price. I want to thank Squarespace for their continued support of what we do at 70decibels, and for being so awesome, and for being with us every week. Thank you very much to them. So, Mr. Tapstra. You, you just schooled me in how to do a, a sponsor script. I, that was beautiful. Thank Brilliant. you very much. I have to disagree with you there, though. <laughs> I was having a conversation with Patrick Roan about your show, actually, on a recent episode of Enough. Because we sometimes do a little section of um, things I'm loving. And I said that I was really enjoying your show. And I said that I felt that your sponsor reads are some of the best in the business. So I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can hear it for yourself. I will definitely hear what you have to say. And I think it's because you uh, you impart, again, your personality into it. I mean, who else talks about, was it robot unicorn butlers or something? Yeah, I changed the parts that I think need some spicing up. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, we do, Squarespace has been with us for, um, for, for some time now. Um, 
we've, they've actually been with us since May. So they've been supporting us for, for some time. And I use wow. the product. So um, combine what I know already through using it and through some of the things that they like me to talk about. And I pretty much got it down. I mean, awesome. I, I do that ad five times a week. <laughs> so, yeah, that would, you know, you, I, I do mine once a week and, and Squarespace has been on there long enough that I kind of have it memorized, but yeah, yeah. it's a great place. I don't, I don't actually have a Squarespace site, so I can't be as fluent about uh, personal testimonial style as you can. There you go. You need to sort that out, by the way. But anyway, so <laughs> I wanted, um, I've spoken about this next, this next sort of few questions of a couple of, of our guests. Um, because one of the things that I like to do on this show is if I feel that some questions are, are relatively generic, but they get really good responses, I like to keep them and bring them out for, for people when they come on. So this one is around ideas. And I actually spoke to, when I had um, your, your colleague, your esteemed colleague, Mr. David Sparks on, I actually asked him these questions. Um, and, and I wanted to keep them for you too, because I thought that they would... Uh, Especially for for a, a man like yourself, a, a tinkerer like yourself, these are um, I think they're quite interesting questions to, to impart a little bit about what it is you do and some of the decisions that you make. So this question is quite broad, but um, where do your ideas tend to come from? Um, from problems. Um, when I don't like, did you see? Uh, I did a script. Uh, last night, well, the night before last, uh, called uh, Searchlink. I did see that, and um, I saw uh, Mr. Uh, Federico Fatici of Max Stories. He was very, very, very happy about it. Right, and and I've been going like Jason Snell's been getting it working, and he's excited too um, from MacWorld. I mean, um, but uh, basically, that happened at eight p.m. I thought. Because uh, I use one script that that automatically does like a web search, a generic web search, and gives you the first result. But I suddenly thought, what if I could, like, without leaving my text editor, tell it where to search and get more accurate results? <laughs> and then at uh, I think it was two thirty in the morning, it was done and uh, and published. And those ideas tended just they arise from friction in my workflow and sometimes friction in other people's workflow. If someone mentions a problem to me that they've had, even if it's something I would probably never normally have come into contact with, if the problem sounds intriguing to me, if my brain immediately says, ah, I bet there's a solution for that, then I find myself working on it. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that this is necessary at this point, but I would just say, just for anybody maybe that doesn't know you, basically, one of the things that Brett does, um, he just creates things, whether they're scripts or apps, just solutions to, to problems, as you say. Um, and most of these can be found at brettterpshire.com. Um, that is kind of what you do outside, and, and um, I will later on talk a bit about what you do for full-time employment. But that, would that be the best way to describe it? As you say, you 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 are a problem solver, and, and you find ways, innovative ways, to solve problems that maybe some people don't even know that they have. Yeah, I would say that's that's accurate. I also really enjoy creating, and you know, sometimes that's code, sometimes that's music, sometimes it's ceramic figurines. Um, that's a lie. I don't do ceramic figurines. <laughs> Um, but you know, I like, I just, I have a, a creative side and I've learned to express creativity in, in coding as well as other areas of my life. And 
I really I see everything that I do as creative pursuit. So, with a man with as many ideas as you, I want to ask you one question that has two offshoot, offshoots to it. So, um, it's about capturing. So, how do you capture ideas, and then where do you keep them? I capture ideas in whatever is convenient at the moment. Interesting. Um, sometimes, actually most of the time, that's NVL for me. Uh, just drop into a text file. If I'm mobile, it's it, right now I'm using uh, Notely, but whatever, you know, whatever I can just type a quick idea into and save it as text. Um, uh, sometimes I'll use my iPhone camera to grab inspiration. Um, and uh, Camera Plus is awesome. Um, and uh, And then... What was the second half of the question? Where do you keep them? Oh, yeah, they all everything ends up in plain text, markdown files, and uh and um sometimes those are imported into mind mapping programs because that's how I develop ideas. Um so brainstorming happens quite often in a mind map or in a awesome outliner called Tree. And uh they uh even those though get stored as OPML files. So pretty much text. You do. I, I was just sort of wondering what your. Uh, I've got actually got a review of Tree here. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, that that you did. So because um, I was wondering, like, how once you have your ideas, so if you you keep them in in, in like basically if you record them or capture them um, in many different forms, sort of where you kept them, so you don't use something like OmniFocus or stuff like that for that? Or do you- I, OmniFocus for me, and I use it daily, uh, but it's for tasks, not ideas. Right. Um, what I have is in NVLT and you know, therefore in plain text files, I have three lists. One for projects and project ideas, one for blogging ideas, and one for general things I want to remember. And those are the three that I review frequently and mark things off and uh and reorganize the list as priorities change and like everything in my project list uh in nvalt if you surround uh, a phrase with double brackets double square brackets it becomes a link to a note with that title and so every project is linked to its own note where uh, additional ideas and things go for that project so i can just have its title in an outline and then have easily searchable text linked to everyone. And, uh, and that's kind of the overall organization system is just interlinked wiki-style uh, text files. I, I'd figured that you would be a man of a robust system. I have lots of command line scripts to, uh, to search and query all those text files. I would not put that past you in, in any way, shape, or form. So... Well, how do you so once you've got got all these projects and you've got this list, or you, you've had some ideas and you think right, I'll, I'll fire that away for later. How do you then choose what projects to pursue? Um, like I said, I, I review my my project idea list pretty frequently, right. and uh, and keep moving down things that I'm losing interest in, and and raising up things that have an urgent uh, any kind of time sensitivity to them. And then when I actually have like a moment to stop and I'm not, you know, feverishly working on something already, 
I just consult the top three items on the list and say, yeah, it sounds good. You mentioned recently on uh, Systematic, I think it was on um, the previous episode, to the one most recent, when you were talking about 60, 60 tips, you said that you liked it because it felt like it was a project that was finished and you feel that usually most of your projects aren't finished. And I wondered if that was a choice that you made because you feel like you have to constantly evolve things or if that's just something that's inbuilt in you. Well, uh, I mean, most of what I, I put out there is software and uh, software by nature is never complete. There's always another version coming until you stop putting out versions and then people stop using it, even if it works fine. People uh, are always looking toward the future and if they feel like the software is never going to evolve again, they, they're done. They, they find an alternative and that's understandable and... Um, therefore, anything that I have an active interest in, I'm always, you know, evolving it. And uh, a book, on the other hand, has, you know, kind of has a published date. It's it's done. So kind of like art school. I think I may have said that already. But you, like a drawing, an art project, you 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 can work on for weeks, and then once you hit the critique. You either start over or you're finished. And it's kind of, I don't know, I, I, I see uh, the book more like art school hitting a critique than like a personal project where you would literally keep painting until someone bought it. So I'm going to get into our long list of listener questions now. So the, the first one, and I said I was going to come back to this, um, is from at dab igc and they asked how do you manage to do so many things and not upset your employer now you are employed by aol um, and you do a lot of work development work i believe for their blogging properties um i think in gadget and tour and, and places like that that's yes. correct yeah so yes. how see so obviously you are a man with many projects you openly say that you don't sleep very much and i'm sure that you know you you may I, well, I don't know, but considering the amount that you do, I'm sure that you, you know if somebody if something pops into your head, you might you know record something during the daytime, maybe write a little bit of code. I don't know. You don't have to say. But how do you um do you, do you have an agreement with them, or is it just something that you know you put in your hours, you bill your hours? I mean, how does that sort of thing work for you? We have an unwritten but spoken agreement that I get my work done and then I play. And uh, and being a remote worker with re- relatively flexible hours, if I you know if if I have a lunchtime project that spills over half an hour, no one yells at me. Right. Um, and if I if that happens, I usually I put in an extra half hour at the end of what I consider my day, uh, working on uh, day job stuff. Uh, just make sure everything gets done. I don't, however. I'm past the point in my life where I'm willing to work 60-hour weeks on on regular basis. So when 5 o'clock hits and I've got my work, you know, at a stopping point, I switch over to personal projects. Um, I don't I don't put in overtime. My overtime goes to uh, more creative pursuits. Me and you share a very, very similar vision there. And I think that's because, you know, I have a full-time job and then I do this in my own time. And I don't want to take time away from the network, giving it to my employer if I don't need to. Um, like I don't, 
give them extra time when it's not necessary. Right. You know, if I have a big project and it means I need to work late, then I'll do that. Uh, but if it's just a general day and I'm just starting something new, well, that can just wait until tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, setting those limits, I think, is um, both healthy and profitable. And even if you don't have other projects, you just need to do it because you need to have a life, you know? Yeah, with remote work especially, it's really easy to just be on all the time and, you know, connected to your employer through IRC or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I I hit Command-Q on Adium when when I'm done with the day. <laughs> you got like halfway for a sentence. <laughs> I'm out of here. It's five o'clock. <laughs> it's quitting time. <laughs> I have hung up on people before, as wow. it were. That's 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 that's. I'm I'm pleased to hear that. I mean, because I think that uh, maybe people would ask that, and, and maybe people would think of you because you are a man who's clearly so busy that it would be very easy for you to be a workaholic. Yeah, no, I, I I'm a a creatorholic. Like I can I can stay up all night working on, you know, a, a script idea, but. Uh, as far as uh, pr- uh, career pursuits, I kind of take it easy on that. I get the job done, and I am uh, I'm competent, and I'm constantly learning at my job. Uh, I have to. I work in tech, um, but yeah, it's it's not an obsession. I'm too old for workaholicism. Ism. That's good. I'm pleased. Um, so I have an, another question here. This is from Andrew A. Berger. Um, and he has asked, because Apple seem to be moving their focus towards iOS, what are your feelings about this relating to your projects? Because you have been and you are seem to be more focused on Mac stuff. Do you think that you are interested or think that you will one day move over to more iOS-based development? Uh, as the integration moves forward, and we saw it with Mountain Lion, um, and everything's kind of iOSified. Um, I do think that I'll just adapt to that. Um, I'm already I'm trying to work within the more restrictive guidelines that are being set so that I can continue to do what I do. Um, I have written a couple iOS apps for uh, just local development, so I'm I'm keeping up with uh, the skill set required, and I do intend to. I, I don't right now. The only thing I really want to do on my iPad that I can't already do is uh, is some of my markdown writing scripts. And I I I was talking to uh, Federico today, Federico Batici, um, about running uh, Python scripts for added convenience in markdown editing. And uh, and we both have some stuff that works on the iPad now, and that has me excited about further development there. It's interesting to hear that, and it's good in a way. You know, you're happy to accept the change. I mean, you haven't been a Mac user for you know maybe as long as someone like Stephen Hackett or something like that. So maybe your allegiances aren't so tied. Well, I am. I'm a die-hard Mac user. Yeah, of course. Like, I won't. I won't work on a PC. I'd rather run parallels on my Mac than actually touch a PC. But uh, I. I feel like I don't really have a choice but to adapt. The the mm-hmm. Apple determines in this in this ecosystem Apple determines what our options are. And if I hack my way around it to a point where I can do something but everyone else can't, then I can no longer share what I do. So, I'm I'm pretty much resigned to going with the flow and uh and trying to provide as much 
additional flexibility as I can within uh, reason. So on. Our next question came through over app.net. Um, some of the questions are a mix of both app.net and Twitter. But before I ask you the question, are you getting how involved do you feel in the app.net community at the moment? Um, it's it's still a secondary um, it's a secondary pursuit to Twitter, mm-hmm. and I, I'm making an effort to spend more time on app.net because I really, given recent developments, don't feel comfortable planning a future with Twitter. <laughs> You're not going to um, settle down with her. Yeah, I, I had I had grand visions for a long and fruitful marriage, but it just hasn't she, worked out. She thought otherwise. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm involved. I feel like uh, I racked up uh, a lot of followers really fast. I feel like uh, it's definitely my crowd, mm-hmm. and and when I have something to say, I get feedback really fast, and I really enjoy the conversations that I'm having there and uh, um, uh, Wedge on my Mac and app is AppBot, right? Uh, NetBot. NetBot, I yeah. do that all the time. NetBot on my iPad have definitely improved my interaction with it. Yeah, I was su- surprised, like, the amount of followers that I have on app.net, like, w- combined, like, when it looks at, at Twitter as well, and I was surprised how quick that got to that point. Yeah, and that shows that a, a big section of the community is is there. Agreed. So you, you are TT scoff on twi- on uh, sorry, we know you are on Twitter, but on um, on app dot net too. Yes, yes, I am. I uh, as as much as I, I have no real attachment to that handle, um, I just I've always been TT scoff everywhere, and I feel like it makes me more easily locatable. So yeah. Same deal. Yeah, I was having this conversation with um, Tom Merritt on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, and you you just get stuck with them, don't you? The, the names. Yeah, I probably could have scored like at Brett on uh, App.net, but I didn't even try. I thought about that, but then I figured in case App.net does get big, well, then you end up with the same problem that of why people didn't you know want those names on Twitter because you would end up if you look at like. Um, is it Justin Williams who has at Justin? Yeah, you yeah. Know, you never know. Brett the Hitman Hart could, could sign up and it's end of days for you. Right, and at Ted on Twitter is a pretty, he's a pretty normal guy, but ever since the movie Ted came out, his account has just been flooded. Oh, man. With, with uh, it's, some, it's, there's a lot of bile in there. And he's been a really good sport about it. He, he retweets stuff that randomly comes to him incorrectly. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I've actually just looked on his Twitter Twitter account, and I can see some of those retweets. <laughs> That's a tough name to have. Like you got the TED conference and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I was I was wondering whether to do that because I got in quite early, but I figured no, I just let's just keep it simple. No one has ever tried to steal TT scoff from me. Hey, you don't say that, man. People will get in there. You got some squatters now that are taking this stuff. I will cut them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, the, into the next question. Uh, this comes from uh, at Road Design, which is our good friend Mike Rohde. And he has asked, um, how has living in Minnesota affected your career when it's ex- expected that all technology stuff is located on the coasts? I saw that question and I love it. Um, I'm a Midwesterner and uh, I, I, kind of, I kind of plan to always be a Midwesterner. And if 
if this whole idea of remote uh, work never came around, I would probably uh, would not be where I am today. Uh, I think that technology has come to a point where it doesn't really matter if I'm in uh, the Bay Area or if I'm in New York. Um, I I can exist in both at the same time, and I have teleconferences regularly with with both sides of the country. And I get to sit nicely in the middle. I make, you know, a New York paycheck and I spend it in the Midwest. And that's very comfortable. Um, Ching. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a huge cost of living difference. If you can handle the 20 below weather, it's uh, it's great. And I, I don't feel like it's really had any kind of negative impact on my tech career. I travel to san francisco a couple times a year and meet up with all the developers there and so i get my networking in without having to i don't know move i would love to live in california don't get me wrong i think california is kind of like my ultimate goal i'm just not sure i'll ever make it there interesting because i guess you're kind of cool because you're in the middle right if you're on one of the other coasts that makes it difficult but you you say you know as you right rightly say you've got the time zones and not that massive <laughs> on either side for you that way right. So the next question comes from Ephosophical, um, basically folding text. What <laughs> are you using it? What are you using it for? And do you think you're going to develop on top of it? Okay, am I using it? Um, I wouldn't say I am putting it to full use yet. I am playing with it and I love it to death. Um, but I haven't, haven't fully incorporated it into any kind of workflow yet. Um, I kind of open it daily and just, uh, explore the possibilities. And the thing, the thing about folding text is that on the surface, it's extremely simple. Uh, you start, you know, typing markdown format stuff and it just, it, it adapts things uh, visually. And then you have, uh, you find out about like the timer and to do features where you can just with plain text create like the timer feature is amazing. You can, you can say bake the bread for 30 minutes and then, uh, you know, pour some wine and it'll actually start a timer and it'll go 30 minutes and then ding and then tell you to pour your wine. Um, and, and the possibilities there are pretty cool, but it's the, third part of that question that is uh most intriguing to me and yes i do he's he's built an api and made an extensible platform uh through various types of scripting mostly apple script um that will allow me to do what i consider to be pretty much insane things as far as being able to uh filter sort uh find search text which is where I, you know, spend most of my time is doing that stuff. And this is a platform that I can continue working with plain text and yet have access to full XPath selectors for tags like plain text tags and stuff like that. So yeah, I definitely plan to explore programming it. Folding text is like this crazy text editor that does, as you heard, some insane things. It's one of these sort of apps that I look at and I'm kind of scared of it. Like, I've not downloaded it yet, but I, I plan to. But I'm kind of like, I feel like I, I cannot use this app for as much as it, it it should be used for. I was that way with TextMate for a whole year. Really? 
Yeah, I opened TextMate and I saw the very minimal interface and and read some of the stuff on the list. And I just got overwhelmed with trying to learn how to make the most of it and went back to, I think I was using, I don't even remember what I had before TextMate. But but once I got into TextMate, uh, I, I went crazy with it and loved it. Um, yeah, it's like when an, when an app is so simple, but but yet you know it's so powerful. That kind of intimidates me a little bit. Like when it looks it so simple, like if it had buttons all over the place, it, it probably wouldn't look very good. But at least I would be able to clearly see what it does. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people find comforting about like BB Edit, um, as far as text editors go, is things are more visible, mm-hmm. um, and it can be intimidating, but it can also be uh, extremely relaxing to know that things are just gonna happen as planned and without you having to search through an interface i think that's to me that's what a minimal interface indicates is that things are going to just work and if that's not the case then it's a failure but in the case of folding text like i said you just start typing and stuff starts happening and everything kind of works the way you'd expect it to so um brian Scheel. Um, on Twitter has asked um, or it may be on app.net I can't remember which one now Um, what are your plans for Slogger and Slogger is a um, a service app that you created to to add social services and the the feed sort of the output from social services or backups of social services into the popular journaling application day one yes and now Markdown it can store everything as Markdown files of course it can. <laughs> but uh, but that's a that's a big question and and more than I want to go into a lot of detail here. But the basic, I mean, I've put all the source out there and I created it with a plug-in architecture so other people can contribute. And they have been. I've gotten some great stuff. And uh, I will continue to maintain that repository as people contribute fixes and new code. I'll make sure it's up to date, but I'm not going to push that uh, development on that version a lot farther uh, because I really, A, I need to find a way to make more output options for it, uh, make it more universally useful so that day one isn't required as much as I love day one Um, because I would love to take Slogger into a more commercial atmosphere and find a way to make it less intimidating to install something that I can readily, you know, put up for a nominal fee and and fun development of it because I I love having the social log. I'm not great at uh, journaling. I'm good at logging. I, I take quick notes a lot like uh, git commit messages. So just automatically having my git commits go into my journal and all of my uh, personal tweets and last FM songs and and uh, all of my all my social networks you know, just pulled in so that I can browse through and see what I did any week or day. And I love that. I really do. I just, um, I, yeah. Did I answer that? That seemed answered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think basically what people want to hear is, you know, that you're still working on it. I'm definitely still working on a permutation of it. Yeah. Which is, you know, I guess people just want to hear that. It's going to continue to get better. So um, RM Lewis UK has asked, um, what coding language do you suggest for someone who wants to just start learning something? I am really 
pushing Python right now, even though I suck at it. Um, because it's, I like Ruby and, uh, and normally I would recommend Ruby as a, because both Python and Ruby come with your Mac. They're already there and you can load up a terminal, you can open up an interpreter and you can just start using them and you can start with a hello world program in, in 30 seconds. Um, but I'm finding that Python is a little more distributable. The modules that are available are a little easier to uh, to share, and uh, things just it's a little more structured. Uh, the indented syntax and everything requires a little bit of discipline that actually is probably really beneficial to someone who's just getting into coding. So I, I I'm recommending Python. It, despite uh, not having a full grasp of Python yet, but it's been a good learning experience for me too. Cool. Um, and then a sort of follow-up question from that from UK Haiku um, has asked, do you have any recommendations for people trying to learn scripting languages like AppleScript? Yeah. No, don't use AppleScript. Okay. <laughs> no, I I love AppleScript. It's 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 the only bridge we have to most applications. It's the only way you can get most Mac applications to to react and give you data and things. Uh, so it's a necessary evil, but it's so confusing and and it changes the the syntax and and uh, every everything changes every time you switch to using a different app with it and. Uh, it, it's kind of something that you can piece together and it's, it's, you know, you can start on it with just the built in dictionaries and everything. And the editor comes with your Mac. It's great. But if you can pull it off with a more, uh, um, system level, like Ruby, uh, Python, I would recommend starting there, starting your scripting career in a, in Ruby or Python. Cool. So, um, A.E. White asked this question um, at A.E. White, but it actually came from a couple of people. Um, He was the first person that I saw. What is your favorite non-tech-based activity that maybe you do to relax? Um, Oh, boy. I I watch movies now. I used to rock climb. I kind of won too many months on the couch, and then I just never rock climbed again. (laughs) Um. I don't know if that's considered relaxing, but it's it's good for my brain to get a little exercise. Um, but yeah, uh, watching movies and hiking, I guess, are pretty much... Uh, the reason I, I'm stuttering is because most of the things I do to relax when I don't want to be coding and working still are on my iPad. Right. Most activities still involve technology, and the only times that I really, truly unplug is when I'm out for a walk. Um, even watching movies, it's still usually tech related. I I guess, I guess my answer is, um, I, I sadly don't really relax or have non tech activities. I think that's becoming more and more prevalent these days As, as technology is permeating the average person's life in much larger ways than it ever has before. Mm-hmm. So I think for most people, it's becoming harder and harder to find that. I mean, because even if, if I go out for a walk, I still use my iPhone to listen to something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or take pictures. Or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have two final questions for you. 
Is one of them whether or not I'm human? Because yeah, I saw yes. that come up a few times. Yes, it is. That's the next question. Florian <laughs> Lionel would like to know if you're human. Do you have a question? I have a belly me? button. Okay, so we'll take that as a yes. Um, at Lonely Disciple would like to know if you are the um, next incarnation of Doctor Who. Uh, no. No. Uh, I have... I don't have a good answer for that. It sounds like no. you're struggling, no. like you weren't sure. <laughs> I, I am not. I, I'm. I'm not really an, the next incarnation of anything. Although I do see similarities in uh, in personality. So, it's. I, I understand. You know, if someone mistook mistook me for that, but are you definitely. A Who, are you a Doctor not. Who fan? I'm not a huge fan. Um, never, never got into it. I enjoy. Uh, I, I watch both the older and the newer versions, and uh, I enjoy an episode here or there. But I don't know the whole storyline. Right. So. I um, can't count myself as a. I know some very diehard fans that would be very offended if I even suggested that I was a fan. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's with anything on the internet, you run into that potential pitfall. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I don't dedicate enough time to any one thing to really be a fan. I think Black Rebel Motorcycle Club is probably the one thing that I like always come back to and would consider myself a fan of that band. But as far as shows and stuff, everything comes and goes. Mr. Terpshire, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, thank you for taking the time and, and for battling a, a, a voice that has wanted to escape you. I appreciate that a lot. That was oddly fun, this whole question and answer thing. It's good, isn't it? I, I like it. It was something that I did... Um, and and now it like just once just to try it out and now I every week I, I throw out to the people if they if they've got questions because sometimes some of the most interesting parts of the show come from what the listeners want to know. Very cool. So where can people find you? What are the best places online? Uh, well, brettherpster dot com is where I do uh, share most of my mad science and uh, and bizarre coding adventures, and then uh, tt scoff uh, on Twitter and app dot net. And that's that's pretty much it. If if you find me at those two places and you want to find me at Last FM and and LinkedIn and everything, you'll find it from there. Awesome. So next week we are going to be joined by uh, Mr. Nick Fletcher of Real Mac Software, um, and that show may be with you slightly earlier than usual, uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday rather than Wednesday. So uh, look out for that. It will be in your RSS readers or your podcatchers just slightly earlier but you can listen to it whenever you want as always so thank you very much brett for for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always um thank you all for listening to this week's episode of command space i'm mike hurley and until next time bye bye